Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Well, what a privilege it is to be here again and to open up God's Word with each and every one of you as we look at, as your pastor has said, the sanctity of life and our response to the sanctity of life. This, uh, this morning, I, uh, I want to just say that a lot of things have been accomplished in 2021 that we can give glory to the Lord that in our country we've seen so many things that have been accomplished on behalf of life and I had the opportunity to actually be a part of two of those, and, and I just want to give you a quick glimpse of, of some of the fruit that we've seen in 2021 for the sake of life in the United States. If you're tracking along in 2021, at the very beginning of the year, the Senate in Texas, which was then ratified by the House and signed in by the governor, passed what they called Senate Bill 7, or Senate, I'm sorry, Senate Bill 8, which was the heartbeat bill. And they basically said that any person that provided an abortion after a heartbeat was heard in the womb could be criminally liable uh, if the woman who the abortion was performed on brought case against that provider. Uh, And that went into effect, and then the Biden administration challenged that law in Texas, and it went before the Supreme Court, and oral arguments were held on November the 1st. Since that law has gone into effect in Texas, I just want you to know that uh, Texas has said 100 babies have been saved a day in the state of Texas because of the heartbeat bill. So the Biden administration challenged it. I happened to be able to be it right around, in, in the, uh, not in, but around the Supreme Court on November the 1st uh, to hear oral arguments and to speak on behalf of life there at the steps of the Supreme Court. Afterwards, we got to go hear from uh, the the Attorney General of Texas, the Solicitor General of Texas, and several with Alliance Defending Freedom. The good news is they felt really positive about the case. And then at the end of last year, on December 28th, the Supreme Court came out and said that they were not going to overturn the Texas bill. Now, they definitely left room for a future challenge, but today that bill still stands. And so we're grateful that life is being protected in the state of Texas. Several years ago in 2020, Alabama actually passed an abortion ban that at Lifeline we were grateful to be able to testify before the House and the Senate on behalf of that bill. And Mississippi at the same time also put a version of a bill uh, in Mississippi that was also passed. Uh, That bill allowed that uh, a woman could not have an abortion after 15 weeks. The Biden administration actually determined to to challenge that bill as well, and it went to the Supreme Court on December the 1st. And so I went back to D.C. on December the 1st, again had the opportunity to be at the Supreme Court. A couple of things that were just so encouraging that day of the Supreme Court, because there were lots of people, uh, there were were thousands of people around the Supreme Court. A couple of things that I, I noticed is one, the pro-life movement didn't look like it's looked in the past. Um, it, was, it was multicultural. There were uh, multi-generational. Uh, actually, there were over 900 students for life that were standing around the Supreme Court. 
advocating for life. I also had the opportunity to hear from the Mississippi State Attorney General and Solicitor General and Alliance Defending Freedom at a roundtable after those oral arguments. And brothers and sisters, while we will not know the outcome potentially until the last Tuesday of June, I am here to tell you that everyone who heard those arguments, all the, those that are trying to speculate on what the justices may do, believe very highly that there is a strong chance that at the very least that uh, Roe versus Wade will be tampered with and the, the, the abortion laws will go back to the states. And so we're prayerfully optimistic that we will see a day where abortion could be limited and even uh, stopped in many of our states. So this is a good thing, but I want to also tell us this morning that it's not the end. Because if, if these things do happen, we're going to have states like California, Illinois, and New York that will have such strong abortion laws allowing abortion that actually babies that are born even to full gestation can be slaughtered in those states. Those states will have the world's most aggressive abortion laws on the books, more aggressive than China and North Korea. And so as the church of Jesus Christ, there's still much for us to do. For these ministries out in the foyer, there is much for us to do. If abortion is stopped in our state, and we hope that it will be, it means that DHR is going to need our help more than they've ever needed our help. If abortion is stopped in our state, which we hope it is, it means that Save a Life is going to have more young women going through their doors than they ever have before. And we need to support these ministries. We need to, we need to go and we need to volunteer in church. We cannot believe that the battle has been won. It is only starting for the sanctity of life. So this morning, as we even look at some of the things that we've seen and we, we look at the sanctity of life, I want to draw us to a passage that on the, on the offset may seem a bit obscure, but it's Ezekiel chapter 22. And I want to warn you this morning that, that this passage is a dark passage. It's a passage that deals with the sin uh, of a nation and the evilness that comes from that sin. I'm going to also tell you it's not a passage that you're going to go home and you're going to cross-stitch a pillow with one of these verses. Uh, you're probably not going to get wall art with a, a passage from Ezekiel chapter 22. If your family memorizes Scripture, maybe you would memorize one of these verses, but I, I bet this is not going to be one of the first on the top of your list to say, hey, let's memorize Ezekiel chapter 22. It's a dark passage. And even as we read this passage this morning, and we study this passage, you may say, where's the grace? This is all judgment. Is it, is it God a, a God of love and mercy and grace? But, but yet this passage is all about judgment and wrath and condemnation. But brothers and sisters, as we read through this passage, I hope we see that Ezekiel chapter 22, while on the surface may seem like it's all about judgment, it's all about condemnation, I hope that we'll see that this passage is all about mercy and grace. Because when we realize the weight of our sin, when we realize what our sin deserves, and then we understand that a holy God came and He bore the weight of that sin, it makes the grace of Jesus that much more sweet and that much more beautiful. But what I want us to see also from Ezekiel chapter 22, it's because of this sin 
that we have abortion in our land. It's because of this sin that we have broken families. It's because of this sin that we have the fatherless and the orphan and children in foster care. And we've been redeemed from this sin. And so as God's chosen people, redeemed with a God that has stood in the gap, we now have been commissioned to go and to serve the broken and to serve those whose lives have been impacted by the consequences of sin. So looking at Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a prophet. He was sent to speak to God's people the truth. Uh, They were in captivity in Babylon when when Ezekiel was speaking. The people had turned away from the Lord. They, They had spurned his glory. And all the watching nations were looking at Israel and were looking at them as a laughingstock. And Ezekiel's message throughout the book is hard and it's unrelenting. But he's primarily telling the people to repent and to stand back and to look at the awe, with awe at the glory of God. And so brothers and sisters, we, we come to Ezekiel chapter 22 and we see and we will see that there is a total, there, there's a total breakdown of the system in Ezekiel chapter 22. The prophet, the priest, and the king. They're no longer doing what God wanted them to do, but they're now only bent towards evil and towards their own fleshly desires. So let's, with that, go to Ezekiel chapter 22. We're actually going to start in verse 6. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, everyone according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers exhortation in your midst, and the fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbath. There are men in you who slander to shed blood, and people in you who eat on the mountains, and they commit lewdness in your midst. In you men uncover their father's nakedness. In you they violate women who are unclean in their menstrual impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me you have forgotten, declares the Lord God. Behold, I will strike my hand at the dishonest gain that you have made and at the blood that has been in your midst. Can your courage endure or can your hands be strong in the days that I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries and I will consume your uncleanliness out of you and you shall be profaned by your own doing in the sight of the nations and you shall know that I am the Lord. And the word of the Lord, this is Yahweh, his covenant name, came to me, son of man, The house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as one gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into the furnace to blow the fire on it in order to melt you. So I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath and I will put in you and I will melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in a furnace, so you shall be melted in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have poured out my wrath upon you. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rain upon in the day of indignation. 
The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion, tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, for they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced exhortation. They've committed robbery. They've oppressed the poor and the needy, and they've exhorted the sojourner without justice. Verse 30, and I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me in the land before I destroyed it. Four solemn words. But I found none. Therefore, the judgment of the Lord, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. So I warned you, this was a tough and this was a hard passage. You probably don't have a bookmark in your Bible with a verse from Ezekiel chapter 22. This isn't something we usually want to think about. But this morning, what, what I hope that the Lord will draw us in is if we see the heaviness and the weight of our sin, then it will cause us to see the beauty and the majesty and the grace and the beautiful name that is the Lord God. He has no rival. He has no equal. And He has come to redeem us from this sin. So what is the, the purpose of a passage like this? Why in, in God's wisdom would he have a passage like Ezekiel chapter 22 in the Word? I believe it's because he wants to help us. He wants to point us to himself. He wants to warn us. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, he, he tells us the purpose of God's Word. This is what he says. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More are they to be desired than than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Ezekiel chapter 22 is warning us. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his error? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of this great transgression. So what is the purpose of the word of God? What is the purpose of a passage like this? The word this morning is warning us. It's a picture of the sin in us and around us. And so let us ask ourselves this morning, what sins is this word exposing in me? What sins is this word exposing in us? Brothers and sisters, we do not want to be overrun by sin. 
And the structure of Ezekiel chapter 2 shows us complete broken failure in all of the systems. And the truth of the matter is, if we look at this, we understand that in our country, and our world, we have broken systems. Right? The structure in Israel was supposed to be like this. The prophet, he was supposed to be the truth teller. He would tell the truth of God's word. The priest, he was supposed to point the people to the Lord. He was supposed to be an intercessor that pointed people back to God. And the priest, or, or the king, or the prince, he was supposed to use his power to lead righteously. But instead, we see in this passage that the, the prophet, the priest, and the king, they've completely failed in their role. And they're actually power hungry, not to show people back to the Lord, but for personal gain. We see the prophet in, in, in a passage like verse 25. It says, the prophet in her midst is like a roaring lion, tearing the prey, and they've devoured human lives. The prophet is, is, is bent on shedding blood and violence. They're built on, on self-gratification and satisfaction. Verse 7 says, the powerless are not being defended. There's perversion in the land that's been brought on by the power of the prince. The prince is not leading righteously, but they're not, and they're not using their influence and power for good, but they're using it for evil. The most powerful are using financial extortion for themselves. And brothers and sisters, if we look at our leadership class, both in the United States and around the world, and this is not a political statement, this is a statement across every political boundary. We see that our leaders are bent more for their own name, their own prestige, their own person, than they truly are serving the people and leading them to righteousness. Our systems are broken. The prophet. Prophets were killing the people and consuming men instead of pointing them to the Lord. They were using the religious position to consume people's souls. They were, they were feeding them lies. They were giving them words that would tickle their ears, but not convict their souls. They were telling them what they wanted to hear, and they were devouring their flesh, and they were not pointing them back to the Lord. And brothers and sisters, we must be careful because there are false gospels and there are false dichotomies all around us that are trying to steal our attention away from God's word and onto the thoughts of man. Our systems are broken. But then the priest, the priests were supposed to be making sacrifices and, and leading the people back to God. But, but this verse says instead they profane the holy name and they actually were the leaders of sin. Instead of trying to make restitution for sin, they were actually the ones that were out front sinning the most. They were leading the people, showing them how to sin. And then verse 12, tough verse. It says, In you they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me you have forgotten, declares the Lord. God had set a boundary for the power of the leaders. And they are ignoring those boundaries, and they are disregarding God, and they are disregarding Him above themselves. And brothers and sisters, this morning, I want you to know that it is because of these broken systems, it's because of this sin, it's because of this reliance upon self above the Lord that we have the broken in our community. It's because of sin that we have orphans. It's because of sin that we have women who have nowhere else to turn when they've been abused. It's because of sin that women are being abused in our community and are looking for ways and asking for what they should do with this baby inside of their womb. It's because of sin that we have the brokenness in our world. 
Brothers and sisters, I don't want us just to look outside of these walls, but I want us to look inside of our hearts this morning. Because the truth of the matter is, I believe a big thing that we see addressed in Ezekiel chapter 22 is that the people had grown bored with God. They'd grown bored. And they were now looking to, to gratify their own desires. They were now looking to gratify their own flesh. And they had grown bored with the things of God. And so I hope Ezekiel chapter 22 this morning will be a warning to us. Do not grow bored with God because it will cost you. So five things I want us to see that our boredom with God will absolutely cost us. The first is that boredom with God will cost us our worship. It will cost us our worship. Verse 26 her priests have done violence to my law. They've profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they've disregarded my Sabbath so that I am profane among them. Again, we see that the priests had defiled the worship of God. They'd grown last lackadaisical before God. Have we? Have we grown lackadaisical before God? Do we treat holy worship of God casually? Do we take for granted time in God's word? Are we setting aside time to, to pray and seek a holy God? Are we bored when God's word is preached? Are we looking for a show? Are we looking for heart change? You see, the God we worship is the God of Isaiah 6. He's high and lifted up before whom people fell as though they were dead. And we need to be reminded of the dramatic majesty of God so that we do not grow lackadaisical before this great and holy God. We must grasp the holiness of God so that we do not lose sight of his love. Brothers and sisters, his grace is so good and his grace is so merciful. And it's so beautiful when we grasp that a holy God who deserves nothing but the splendor of heaven emptied himself, Philippians 2, and became informed like a bondservant in order to serve a sinful people. When we understand the magnificence of a holy God, it helps us to appreciate the grace that is ours through Christ Jesus. <laughs> and then we stand up and say, what a beautiful name it is. And he has no rival and he has no equal. Do not allow boredom with God to steal from your worship. But come before God each and every time, each and every day, each and every morning. Like the psalmist says, my soul pants for you like a deer pants for water. Come every morning and come before the Lord, not with boredom, but with excitement. Oh Lord God, what will you show us today? Boredom with God can steal from us our worship. But the second thing it can steal from us is our purity. Boredom with God can cost us our purity. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 8 through 11, it's the PG-13 R-rated part of this passage. It says, you were despised my holy things, you've profaned my Sabbath. There are men in you who slander to shed blood and people in you who eat on the mountains and they commit lewdness in your midst. And then it goes on about impurities and nakedness. But brothers and sisters, you see, without a proper view of God's holiness, personal holiness also gets fuzzy and real quickly. If we don't believe that we serve a holy God who is pure and undefiled, if we don't believe that we have a God that is sovereign and omnipotent, then we begin to think that the things we do in secret that no one knows and that no one sees. And so, beloved, even simply, I want to ask you this morning, what are we watching? What are we being entertained with? What are we looking at? 
Are, are, are we watching television programs and, and movies that mock the purity of God? Are we looking at images in secret, thinking that no one else is looking? Are we bored with God's purity because it doesn't create enough laughs or enough comedy? Brothers and sisters, may we not grow complacent in the end, lose our purity before a holy God. God has called us to be pure as He is pure. He's called us to be holy as He is holy. And here's the warning. So much of the entertainment industry, it fuels the sin that we see in our world that's objectifying women, that hurts children. And brothers and sisters, young people, and especially my brothers, those things you watch in secret on your smartphone, it is proven that they fuel human trafficking. What we do in secret will be seen by a holy God. And what we do in secret, it will affect others, even if we don't believe it. When we grow bored with God, starts to risk our purity. But here's the thing. I know many of us may say, oh, my purity has already been compromised. My purity has is, is already been thrown out the window. Oh, we have a holy God that says, I am coming to redeem you. There's nothing that you have done that is outside the grace of God. That's the beauty of Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22 is before the cross, and Jesus said, I'm coming to die to redeem Ezekiel 22. I'm coming to redeem you for what you've done in secret. I'm coming to redeem you for how you've lost your way. Oh, we may have grown bored with God and we may have lost our purity, but you have not wandered outside the grace of God. Boredom with God can cost us our worship. It can cost us our purity. but can also cost us our mission. Ezekiel 22.7, it says, Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers exhortation in your midst, meaning the most, the most vulnerable are actually being extorted by our sin. And the fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. The Lord has called his people on mission to be a voice to the voiceless, hope to the hopeless, and a strength to the powerless. Instead, we see a people here that have lost the call to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with their God. When we lose sight of God's holiness and we become bored with his ways, then we will lose complete sight of his mission. As unpopular, uncomfortable as it is in the world, it's crucial that we have an accurate view of God. We must see God as dangerous and holy. And that's essential to how we live. As children, our Father in heaven, we too are called to be dangerous and holy. Now, this is not violent or destructive. But like God, we are to be dangerous to evil and injustice. I pray and I hope that as a church and as God's people, that the demons will shudder in the way that we serve the Lord. That evil will be thwarted in the way that we serve the Lord. That we will be dangerous to sin in this world. And like light on a city on a hill, we will shine bright. Our mission is to show the character of God to the world. And God tells us continue to seek justice for the orphan, for the widow, for the stranger, for the alien, for the broken, for the poor, for the needy, and for the vulnerable. In Isaiah, similarly, the people, their sins are, are way far above their heads, and the Lord comes into their midst and he rebukes them. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. It says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Verse 16, Isaiah tells them what to do. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. And then he gives them the prescription. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. And plead the widow's cause. And then the beauty of verse 18, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be like wool. When we come to know God, he saves us. He saves us, but he doesn't save us for ourselves. He saves us for his mission. Boredom with God will cost us our worship, our purity, will cost us our mission Oh, but then it will cost us our place in God's global work. It will cause us to lose our place in God's global work. Verse 15 through 16 of Ezekiel chapter 22, it says, I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries, and I will consume your uncleanliness out of you, and you shall be profaned by your own doing in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Instead of being the light of the gospel, instead of being the light of the Lord to the nations, instead of having those watching nations come to glorify the Lord through the testimony of Israel, he's saying, I'm going to scatter you, and you will be mocked because you've mocked my holy name. Once our boredom with God costs us our worship and our missional energy, it then will cost us our place in God's global work. Brothers and sisters, like we've said, we were not saved for ourselves. We were saved for God's mission. And we were saved to take this beautiful gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's our great commission. That's our great commandment to take this gospel. We cannot grow bored with God because we have so much to do among the nations. Psalm 67, may may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way, O Lord, may be known on on the earth, your saving power to all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Psalm 67 is our call to take this beautiful gospel to the nations. But when we grow bored with God, when our sin gets above our heads, when we start to live for ourselves and not the glory of God, we lose our place in God's global mission. Beloved, we've been called to take this gospel to the nations This is a blessing. What a day it will be when, as as the revelator, John the revelator says, there will be a day where every tribe, tongue, and nation will come before the throne of God and will worship him. Oh, what a day. Brothers and sisters, we have a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multiracial family. And let us not grow bored with God and place ourselves as the first priority. Let us put the Lord as our first priority. Boredom with God will cost us our worship, our purity, our mission, our place in God's global work. But fifth, boredom with God will cost us our relevance. Verse 31, 
they are consumed with the fire of the wrath of God. In the United States of America in 2020, it stated that one out of three people claimed they had no religion under 35. Let me say that again. Under 35 in 2020, one out of three claimed they had no religion in the United States of America. 20 years earlier in the year 2000, only one out of nine people under the age of 35 claimed no religion. Why is this? I believe because as the church of God, we've grown bored with God. We've grown bored with our worship, with our purity, with our mission, and our global mission. We're no longer shining the light of the gospel, but we have shown a faith that is not exciting or a faith that is relevant. (laughs) But when we read God's word, brothers and sisters, we can't not see the relevance of God's word today. we, We have neighbors, we have friends, we have people that we know that desperately need the gospel of Christ Jesus. As we've lost so many because of this horrible pandemic, three lives lost this week through this church. We don't grieve of those three lives like the world grieves. We grieve with hope because we know those lives are before the throne of God. But we have others that have been lost this year that have no hope. And we have the gospel and it is relevant. And it is relevant in the time of a pandemic. It's relevant at all times because we have a God that made us, created us, formed us, and sustained us. And we must preach that gospel. We cannot lose our relevance. We've lost our salt. And as believers, we've become hypocritical because we've been caught up in our own power and our own privilege. Instead of fighting and standing up for justice, we've devoured our own and we've abused the powerless. Boredom with God is costing the American church irrelevance. Beloved, the church is the most relevant thing we have because as Paul says, Christ died for the church. But we're losing it. Just like the prophet, the priest, and the king, the thing that you see over and over, and you see it again in verse 30. Who will stand in the gap? It's not the prophet. There's no prophet that can stand in the gap. It's no priest. Oh, they're all defiled. It's it's no king. They're defiled. And then it says, how about you people? Are there any people that can stand in the gap? And here's what it says, verse 30. There were none. I found none. I found none. So as we look at this passage, or are we left to believe that, that, that there's hopelessness? There's no one that can stand in the gap? No, brothers and sisters, there was no prophet, there was no priest, and there was no king, and there were no people that could stand in the gap. But there is a God who can stand in the gap, and he stands in the gap for you today. And that is the grace of Ezekiel chapter 22, that we are not left in our sin, we are not left in our condemnation, we are not left in the wrath of God, but the wrath of God has been poured out on the Son. While we were yet sinners, while our basic tries at righteousness were but filthy rags, Christ died at the right time he died to save us and to save our souls. You see, when we see the wrath of God that's deserved for us, when we see the holiness of God, oh, how beautiful is the grace of God. Ezekiel chapter 11, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And, oh, what a beautiful passage. Here's the gospel in Ezekiel. They will be my people and I will be their God. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, Ezekiel chapter 22, there is great grace. The gospel is found here. Because while there was no prophet, while there was no priest, and while there was no king, and while there were no people, the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, the perfect king, God himself would come and stand in the gap. So in closing, three points of application from this passage for this Orphan Sunday, this Sanctity of Life Sunday, so that we can get our mission back, so that we can begin to fulfill our mission. You see, this gospel grace of knowing that King Jesus has come to stand in the gap, it gives us hope and it fuels our mission. So three ways the gospel invigorates the people of God on fulfilling the mission of God. First, fervent prayer becomes the fuel of our daily lives as we pray for the sanctity of human life to be upheld, the family to be restored, the gospel to be made known to the nations, and for the orphan to find true hope. James chapter 5, starting in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Beloved, we serve a mighty God and a holy God. He is a loving Father, and He delights to hear His children. It's overwhelmingly thrilling to partner on behalf of the movement of God upon the nations. Let's pray for the nations. Let us wrestle in prayer for our nation in the defense of the unborn. May we fervently approach the throne of grace with confidence on behalf of orphans and vulnerable children here and around the world. And may we pray without ceasing for the gospel to restore our families. Brothers and sisters, prayer is not a boring thing. It's an exciting thing because we get to partner. We get to talk to our Father who's the author, creator, and sustainer of the universe. And He answers our prayer. And He hears us when we call. Let's pray to Him for the justice and the mercy of God to prevail in our day. Let's, let's, let's go to Him to pray for our neighbor, to pray for our state, to pray for our nation, to pray for our world and to pray for His gospel to be made known. We fervently pray, and it becomes the fuel of our daily lives. But second, we must have consistent advocacy on behalf of life, family, the orphan, and the global proclamation of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow and builds itself up in love. The church of Jesus Christ should be leading the charge and showing the justice and the mercy of the kingdom. We should be the ones, those of us that are the benefactors of God's grace, that are showing His grace and His mercy and His love to the world. We cannot be silent to injustice. We cannot be silent to pain, but we must speak out for the single mother, the orphan, the poor, the voiceless, the downtrodden. Why? Because that's who we were. Ezekiel chapter 22 tells us who we are. We were downtrodden. We were orphaned. We were single. 
We had no betrothed. We had no family. We were in a helpless state. So helpless that there could be found not one that could stand in the gap. Oh, but God, who is rich in mercy, came and redeemed us so that we now can go and spread His grace and His glory to those that are physically poor, to those that are physically hurting, to those that are physically downcast, those who physically have no family, and who physically have no betrothed, and show them the grace and the goodness of the gospel of God. And then third, wholehearted service to women and children, discipleship which starts in our homes, which cares for the orphan, and devotion to the global mission. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the alert to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord, he is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 9 through 11 Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Beloved, it's not the duty of governments, humanitarians, or the elite to care for the poor, the needy, the orphan, the foster child, and the vulnerable child. No, it is the responsibility and the duty of God's chosen children. It's our duty. Brothers and sisters, it's not the duty of the government, and it's not the duty of this church to raise your children. We cannot allow the world to teach our children a worldview that is contrary to the Word of God. But discipleship must happen in the home. The church, we're here to support families. We're here to be the family of God that gathers around the truths that are being taught at our tables and taught in our homes. So mamas and daddies, what your kids need most from you is not your next vacation, is not the next exotic place, is not the next fun thing. They need you to open up the Word of God and teach the Word of God. They need to hear their mamas and daddies love God passionately. And grandmothers and granddaddies, your grandchildren need you to disciple them and to point them in the way of the Lord and to show them a life that is is built on the faithfulness of God. Aunts and uncles, cousins, we need to, to go back to that family unit that God created and God designed, and we need to teach Deuteronomy chapter 6. We need to teach the Word of God when we're sitting down, when we're standing up, and when we're lying down. Oh, what our world needs is families that are teaching the Word of God internally, that overflows into the streets, that affects their neighbors, that affects their streets, that affects their neighborhoods, that affects their communities, that affects their cities, that affects their states, their nations, and ultimately affects the world. Brothers and sisters, what the vulnerable need here in our community, what the vulnerable need around the world, is families on mission for Him. And that starts in our homes. May we be dedicated to the service to women and children with discipleship that starts in our homes. And so, 
there's one that stands in the breach. And as we close today, I want to recognize there may be some that you hear a passage like Ezekiel chapter 22 and you feel hopelessness. You, you don't know where to turn. You see that and say, well, there was none found that could stand in the breach. But we want you to know today is that Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, has stood in the breach and He can stand in the breach for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how many sins you've sinned. Jesus the Christ will stand in the gap. And His grace is amazing. His grace is sweet. And our prayer on this Orphan Sunday, our prayer on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, is that you would understand that you have a life that is sacred before a holy God. And you, as an orphan, don't have to be orphaned anymore. But you can come and know, as God said, they will be my people and I will be their God. I know your pastors will be here at the front in just a minute and would love nothing more than to lead you to the throne of grace with confidence in a God that will stand in the gap. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and the richness of your word. Lord, I thank you that while we were yet sinners, that you died for us. Oh God, I thank you that, that, that you love our soul, not to corruption, but to grace. And Lord, I pray that as we, we read a passage like Ezekiel chapter 22, and we see the grace of the gospel in Ezekiel chapter 22, I pray that it would not cause us to live for ourselves, but I pray that it would cause us to live for you to the nations. Lord, would you use this church to stand up for the vulnerable? Would you use this church to stand up for pregnant women who are going through a crisis situation? Would you use this church to stand up for kids in foster care? Would you use this church to stand up for the orphan and the broken? And Lord, would you use this church more importantly, that as we stand and as we serve, that we would preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the only thing that can transform Oh God, we worship you. We love you. And I pray that if there are any who do not know you, the one that stands in the gap, that today would be a day of salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.